Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Welcome to uh, part two of the book of Acts, the Great Adventure. We're looking at the second section of the book of Acts and Paul planning churches and going to new areas and just really exciting. We want to welcome our podcast community that's listening to this podcast. Thank you so much for listening every week and all over the place and po- folks that are listening uh, through uh, Facebook Live. Here's an interesting thing. Last week, Facebook Live, we had 700 people that viewed last week's service. I think that's incredible. And we want to welcome our Facebook Live community. Thank you for listening and being part of Facebook today. So we're so grateful. We hope to see you here at Bayshore soon. We're just so grateful that you're watching. Uh, we are... Uh, at Acts chapter 16, this is a great, great chapter. I wanted to kind of breeze through chapter 16 and kind of keep going, but there's so many good things in Acts chapter 16. And, and the reason we're actually kind of doing verse by, not verse by verse, but section by section of the book of Acts, for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons we're doing that is because we want to really educate our congregation so you know what the Bible's about, you know what the story's about, so you can read the Bible on your own. And the second thing is when you kind of like go from section to section in the Bible systematically, it makes you deal with things you would normally duck and avoid. So I love it that it kind of forces us into conversations that we sometimes would avoid. So uh, today we're going to really cool section of Acts chapter 16, Acts 16 verses 6 through 12. And we have this really cool uh, thing that uh, happens in Paul's second missionary journey. He, last week we learned about he cho- chose a new team. He's got Silas and Timothy. And, uh, and we look at what we have happening here as he begins his uh, second missionary journey. Acts 16, verses 6 through 12. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the board of Mysia... They tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God has called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there for several days. So in this section, Paul is starting this new kind of like journey where he's, uh, he's visited the churches he was at that he established the first missionary journey. He visited them. But Paul's big passion is, is to go to new places and to tell people about Jesus. He's not content just to have people that know Jesus uh, around him. He wants to meet people that have not met Jesus yet. So Paul is constantly pushing the envelope, constantly going to different places. Paul, the vision of Paul is he has a machete in his hand and he's making a road in the jungle where there is no road. He's a pioneer. That's what he does. So he, he goes and visits the churches that he established. And then it's Paul's dream to go to these new areas. So he begins to travel west. He goes uh, from east to west. 
That's interesting that the gospel, and we're all here today because the gospel went primarily from east to west. And so Paul began to move westward, and he wanted to go to certain places. And in this passage, uh, there's different cities and regions and, and sort of provinces that are named by name. And they're named there, and the, these were literal historical places. There's a place mentioned where he was going to go uh, to Bithynia, which is all the way up there by the Black Sea. And he was, this is, this is today, if we were looking at a map today, he's in Turkey, modern-day Turkey, and he's going to different places. But what's interesting is he wants to go to Mysia, he wants to go to Bithynia, he wants to go over here to preach the gospel, and, and the Lord is stopping him. There's a, there, he's being kept, it says he's kept by the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of Jesus would not let him. And the language there is very strong. It's almost like, you know, um, a horse that the, 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 the reins are pulled back. And the Lord is stopping Paul. Now, we don't know how God's stopping Paul. We don't know if, if he's getting a bad feeling inside and he knows he's, not, just kind of knows he's not supposed to do this. And he's got that kind of that sixth sense telling him not to do that. Or if Silas, who is with him, is a prophet and maybe they're praying every day and maybe Silas is getting a word and Silas is sharing, well, I don't think we're supposed to go there. Or maybe circumstances are just shutting down where he can't get into these regions. We don't know why, but Paul is being stopped. So basically, Paul doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know where to go, and he doesn't know what to do. And so he's wandering around. He's kind of like, he's bumping against different opportunities, and he can't do this, and he can't do that. And he cannot determine what he's supposed to do. He can't discover or ascertain the will of God. And so all of us immediately connect with that experience. There's been times when you didn't know what to do, uh, there's been times when you were confused, you're praying and you're asking God, should I do this? And you can't seem to hear God and you don't know what you're supposed to do. And so you go through this time of uncertainty and uh, that's, that's everybody's experience. And what comforted me about this passage when I read it was this is Paul. This is the Apostle Paul. He wrote half of the New Testament, which I mentioned frequently. He had a vision of Jesus on the road to Damascus. He prays all the time. He's walking with Jesus. This is a godly man. He loves Jesus. He's close to Jesus, and he doesn't know what the will of God is. So it doesn't mean if you don't know what the will of God is or you don't know what to do, it doesn't mean that you're not close to the Lord. It just means that you're in a season where God is doing something in your life, and you can't quite piece it together. Karen and I were watching our grandkids uh, not too long ago in Bethany Beach where uh, one of my sons lives and uh, he and his wife went out for dinner. So we had, uh, we, we had our, 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 our grandkids there. We had uh, Willow and we had little Jack. And so we got them to bed, you know, put a little NyQuil in their bottle and got them to bed. And uh, that is a joke, by the way. I did not do that. So we, we put them in the bed, and so we got a little free time before uh, mom and dad get home, their mom and dad. So we had, uh, we, you know, we got the TV on, the Apple TV hooked up, and, and looking at the movies that my son Tim had, and he had the movie Castaway on there. And I love that movie. I've watched it probably 20 times. I love the movie Castaway with Tom Hanks. came out in December of the year 2000. And uh, what a great movie. It's got all this symbolism, you know, about time. You know, uh, uh, Chuck uh, Nor- Norland is, the, is, is Tom Hanks' uh, uh, actor's name. And he's a FedEx employee. And he's fixated on time and clocks and everything running smoothly. And uh, it's, a real, uh, it's a real metaphor about how he gets 
gets in a situation where time doesn't matter anymore. So the movie has a lot of uh, symbolism. And he's on this uh, tropical island for four years. And finally, he gets rescued. He makes a raft and all that. And he comes back to Texas, and he's celebrated by the FedEx people. And the last scene of the movie, he had held on to one package, one FedEx package that he was going to deliver. And so he, he has the one FedEx package that he delivers to Canadian Texas, and he delivers it to, the, delivers it to this, uh, this farm, and uh, the lady who lives there is not home. And so he leaves a note on it, and he leaves the house, and he comes to an intersection. And here's a picture of the end of the movie. Tom Hanks is uh, standing in an intersection, and one of the great uh, interesting things about the movie is you're trying to figure out what's he going to do. Is he going to go back and see the girl that just came by with a pickup, or is he going to go a different direction? So he literally is standing in a crossroads trying to figure out what to do. And the movie kind of ends that way. I love movies like that, that end, you know, sort of with no closure to it. Now, when I see that scene, uh, I have felt that way before. And some of you have felt that way before. Not knowing, should I go over here? Should I go over here? Should I go over here? What should I do? Now, what we, when we think about God's will, there's two kinds of... Uh, Uh, God's will, basically. There's the objective will of God, which is found in the Bible. You know, I got my Bible on my uh, iPad here. I read the ESV, you know, English Standard Version. That's what I read in my devotions most of the time. And I actually read a Bible. I I preach out of the uh, iPad, but I read the Bible. Something this year about, I just decided to start reading the book again. So I read, I read, and uh, when I'm reading the Bible, I get objective direction about what I'm supposed to do. I know I'm supposed to forgive my enemies. Almost every page, you know, in the New Testament has something about forgiveness. So I know it's God's will that I forgive people that aren't nice to me or say something mean to me or whatever. Uh, I know I'm supposed to be humble. I I know I'm not supposed to be filled with pride or arrogance. I know I'm not supposed to be boastful. I know I'm supposed to be a good husband. I know I'm supposed not to lie or cheat. I know I'm supposed to probably every once in a while let somebody in when they're trying to get in. I know that's probably a godly thing to do. The Bible tells me certain objective general things to do. But it doesn't tell me if I'm supposed to live in, you know, Bethany Beach or I'm supposed to live in Millsboro, I'm supposed to move to Mississippi. That's probably not God's will, I would think. But anyhow, uh, I, you know, he doesn't give me that kind of specificity about what God's will is. So for you, you may be in a situation, you know, is it time to retire or am I supposed to, uh, you know, am I supposed to change jobs or should I sell my house and downside? Or maybe you've got kids and you're trying to figure out, should I send my kids to public school, Christian school? Uh, Should I do this or that? Or maybe you're like beginning your career. I remember when I got out of high school, I mean, I was like deer in the headlights. I didn't know what to do. I remember how, how much anxiety I felt as a senior in high school because I hadn't figured it out yet at all, you know, and I'm trying to figure this out. I remember talking to my mom about how, uh, how, you know, how upset I was about not knowing what to do. So those kind of things. What do we do when we don't know what to do? Now, here's one of the things I want to say to you. I want to start this out by saying this. I believe this. I believe that God does have specific, a specific will for our life. Some people think, you know, God's just general, six billion people in the world. God doesn't care a whole lot about the details of my life. The whole thing in the 17th century called deism, where God was a big engineer, made the universe, and then he folds his hands, has nothing to do with that. I don't believe in that kind of God. I believe in a God who cares about the details of our life. And let me read you a couple of scriptures that, that make me think that. 
Uh, Jeremiah 29.11 says this. Jeremiah 29.11, this is Jeremiah writing a letter to the exiles that are in Babylon. The Israelites were in Babylon because they had you know, committed idolatry and all this stuff. And here's what Jeremiah writes in a letter. And he says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. So the first application is, is maybe you're like the Israelites. You've really messed up. You've blown your life. Maybe you've blown a marriage or two. You've really messed up and things are really a mess in your life. And so you say, you know, God doesn't have a plan for for me anymore. Well, this scripture would say, even though you've royally messed up, God still has a plan for you because this scripture is being sent to people that have royally messed up. And it says, I have a plan for you. And when I read that, I know that that verse isn't just for the nation of Israel. That verse is for me. And God says to Danny Tice, I know I have a plan for you. Say, that with me. Say this with me. God has a particular plan for me. So Jeremiah says, listen to these words. Let them sink in. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and to give you a future. So God is a God who has a plan for people. He has a plan for people. You're not a person that God doesn't have a plan for. He has a plan for you. Then John 10, 27, Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. A couple things that tells me. God speaks to his sheep. My sheep know my voice. The scripture there says God speaks to his sheep. Sheep is a metaphor of people that belong to Jesus. They're Christians. People that follow Jesus, that's a metaphor. You're a sheep and we're all sheep. Even though I'm a shepherd, I'm still a sheep. I'm a sheep. I belong to Jesus. So everybody say right now, I'm a sheep. God speaks to his sheep. It says, uh, for I, uh, it says my sheep listen to my voice. Now here's what I think is interesting there. When I read that, in fact, by the word, the word uh, my, my sheep listen, the word listen there is uh, the word akuo in the Greek, and it's in the present tense. And what that means is my sheep are constantly listening to, listening to me. They're continually listening to me. And so it's not this verse is saying we need to listen to the Lord. We need to you know, tune in and listen to the Lord. It's, it's not saying that. What it's saying is it's saying if you are really a Christian, if you belong to Jesus, if you are a sheep of Jesus then you are listening. You have a desire to do God's will. How do I know uh, person A and person B? How do I know one of them is a Christian, one of them isn't? I know this. I know a person who is a Christian is interested in what, the God, what God's will is for their life. They care about what God's will is in their life. Person B who doesn't know Jesus doesn't care about God's will. They want to do their own thing. They want to do whatever. But some of you this morning, as soon as I mention that I'm going to be talking about, you know, discovering God's will, some of you are confused, but you start leaning in right away because you're, the Spirit of God inside of you has made you a person, regenerated you, created you in the image of Jesus so that you desire to do what God's will is. Now, here's another verse that I think uh, tells me about what a Christian, really wants, God, a Christian really wants to know God's will. Psalm 48, I desire to do your will, O God. Say it with me. I desire to do your will, O God. And then the King James, the old King James, you know, who William Shakespeare quoted 5,000 times in his writings. The old King James Version. I delight to do thy will. 
I delight to do thy will. And then the New Living Standard says, I take joy, I take joy in doing your will. And then here's one more verse before we get into the nitty-gritty of this message real quick. Psalm 32, verses 8 through 9. It says this. This is what it says about God's guidance. Listen to this verse. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. So that verse tells me that maybe right now I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know God's will right now. I'm confused. I don't know if I'm supposed to go here or go there. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to sell my house, downsize. I'm not so sure. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to do this or that. But the scripture says, even though I'm at a, a point of confusion where I don't know, the scripture says that he will teach me. He will instruct me. Direction is going to come for me in my life. So that's very encouraging. So Paul, wandering around, doesn't know what to do. He can't seem to hear the Lord, and then all of a sudden the Lord gives him a vision, tells him to go to Macedonia. So here's a couple things about if you don't know the specific will of God in your life. So you know you're supposed to be kind, you know you're supposed to be forgiving, you know you're supposed to come to church, you know all that stuff. That's all objective stuff. But the Bible never says if you're supposed to marry Susie or Jane. The Bible never says if you're supposed to sell your house to get a bigger house or smaller house. The Bible never says, are you supposed to change jobs? The Bible never gives you any of those specificities about what you're supposed to do in your life. So what do you do if you need direction from God on that? First thing you do is you ask God for wisdom. Uh, James 1.5, this is a, a very big verse of scripture. James 5, everybody knows this verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. So wisdom is basically knowing what to do. So if I don't know what to do, I should be praying. I guarantee you, although the scripture is, doesn't say this explicitly in this story, I guarantee you, Paul, the whole time he's traveling, he's praying, Lord, what am I supposed to do? Lord, what am I supposed to do? He's asking for wisdom. So ask for wisdom on a regular basis. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Say it with me. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Why does it say that to all without finding fault? It says that because sometimes people you know, feel like they can't ask God for anything. They messed up so bad. They've sinned so bad. They, you know, they're such a loser in their, in their mind that they can't ask God. Why would God listen to them? They mess their life up so much. But what, is, what, it say, what it says here, it says, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously without finding fault, without finding fault. Listen, let me just say this to you. God talks to imperfect people. If he didn't talk to imperfect people, he wouldn't have anybody to talk to. Aren't you grateful for that? He listens to you even though he doesn't find fault with you. Because he loves you, cares about you. If any man lacks wisdom, doesn't know what to do, he should ask God. Yesterday I was, I was in Lowe's, uh, Millsboro. And uh, I told you a week ago or a couple weeks ago, I, I bought this big Goliath basketball set. I'm putting in this big beast basketball set. And uh, so it was going to cost like $425 to have somebody put it in. So I'm on the hunt. You know, I'm on the Internet. I'm going to figure out how to do this. I'm not going to pay $425 to do this. So I'm going to figure this out. So I'm on YouTube and all that. So I, I got the, the instructions. Uh, and so I, yesterday I was assembling all the stuff. I didn't do it yesterday, but I'm assembling stuff. So uh, the, the instructions said I had to go get... Uh, uh, nine bags of 80-pound co- bags of concrete. Nine 80-pound bags of concrete. So, uh, so I went up to Lowe's, and it says to get two or three extra bags just in case. 
So I up to Lowe's, and I go in the one door and found out the concrete's on the other end, so I had to walk all the way across the store. And so I walked all, all the way across the store, and, and I finally get to the section where there's concrete. And everything said 60 pounds on it. And, you know, and I was supposed to have 80 pounds, and I'm like kind of like, I need about 80 pounds. So I finally found bags with 80 pounds on it. So I loaded these 80-pound bags up. I had that big cart there, and I loaded up the 80-pound bags, you know, I got 11 of them. And man, I'm like, oh man, I'm getting all dusty. And it's heavy, man, it's heavy. I'm a preacher. I'm not used to this. You know, I'm used to lifting, lifting, lifting paper clips. This is heavy. So I'm lifting this stuff and, and I was all covered in, in dust and a couple of Lowe's employees walked by and said, are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing okay. They just kept right on walking, you know. <laughs> so uh, I loaded them up and then I went up there, you know, pushed them up. I literally, you know, I'm pushing as hard as I can. It's real heavy. Uh, so I got like, what, uh, 80 pounds? I got 800 pounds in there. I'm pushing these things. So I, I go up to the, to the uh, register for the lady there to ring him up, and she clearly wanted a different job. This was not the job she wanted to be at. <laughs> so it was one of those deals. So, um, so I finally paid her, you know. It cost me $87, and so I, I, I'm, I'm loading my truck. I pull my truck, and I that little, little in, uh, underpass here, and I pull my truck up there, and I'm loading the, the bags in there, and I get them all unloaded on the truck, and I'm like covered with dirt, and, and I look at it, and it says 80-pound uh, mortar mix. And, uh, and I looked at it, so, <clears throat> I looked out the side of my eye, there was 80-pound concrete uh, mix right there at the door. And uh, so I, what I didn't know was, <clears throat> I, went, uh, I, I didn't know, is there a difference? Is there a fundamental difference between mortar mix and concrete mix? So I went up to the cashier and I said, can you tell me if there's a big difference between mortar mix and concrete mix? And I quote her. This is, her, this is what she literally said to me. I'm just a cashier. That's what she said. I'm just a cashier. I said, is there like anybody here that knows about concrete can help me? And she said, I think there's somebody walking out there or somewhere out there. And so I'm walking around trying to find somebody. I couldn't find anybody. So I go to the tool section, and there's a guy there with his red vest on, and I go up to him, and I said, listen, I'm in a quandary here, so I don't know if I should get the mortar mix or the, if I need to get the concrete, and, and he said, you know, what are you trying to do? And I told him about the basketball thing and all that. He said, you know, I, I said, we're going to help you. He said, we're going to help you, and uh, he said, I think you've got to have that concrete, and, uh, and, and we're going to get somebody to help you. I said, oh, that's wonderful. So, and, and his name was Chuck, and so Chuck you know, he, he, uh, he got a hold of another guy or two. I unloaded the old bags, and he said, you got to go on the other side of the store to take the, the, the receipt back to get it off your credit card. We've got to re-ring it up. So I walked over there, and while I was going, Chuck and this other guy, he got this whole thing, loaded up the pickup truck and got the, the concrete there, and it was half of what I paid for the other. It cost me 40 some dollars instead of 80 some dollars So I get home, and... I unloaded the concrete, and I got on the phone. And when I got on the phone, I called, I called Lowe's, and I wanted to talk to the manager. So I called Lowe's and talked to the manager. And I said, listen, I want to tell you something. And I didn't tell, I didn't tell the manager about that cashier <laughs> or those other people that were walking by and said, how you doing? I didn't say that. I said, I want you to know you got an amazing person in your store named Chuck that works in the tool department. I said, Chuck, he took, I said, I explained the whole mortar ignorance that I had and all of that. And how, I said, he grabbed a hold of that and he fixed it, loaded it up my truck. And I want you to know, you need to tell Chuck he's doing a great job. She said, we know Chuck is one of our best employees. I said, I can verify that. He's one of your best employees right there. <laughs> 
So the point of the story is God is like Chuck. So when you don't know what to do, and you don't know mortar from concrete, and you don't know what you're doing at all, you need to ask him. And he's not like the other employees at that particular store. He's like Chuck that wants to help you. So when you're needing direction and guidance from the Lord, the Lord is this most gracious God. He says he will give you direction. He will help you. You say, Pastor Danny, if I pray for direction, am I going to have it by lunchtime today? I can't tell you when you're going to have it. I can't tell you if you're going to get it tomorrow. I can't tell you when. But I know this. If you ask God, he gives generously to help you with the wisdom that you lack, and he'll give you direction for your life. Now, the, the two other things I want to say about this passage real quickly before we dismiss today. The other thing I want to say about this passage is this is when, when the Holy Spirit kept Paul from going to Mysia and Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus would not let them... Well, I looked at the Greek words there. The Greek words are very strong. It means that he really stopped them. He just pulled back on and stopped them from doing that. And again, I don't know how that happened. But here's what I thought was interesting. It wasn't that God was stopping Paul from doing something bad. Paul wasn't about to sin or do something evil... He was wanting to preach the gospel and tell people about Jesus. And there was a good thing he was trying to do that God told him not to do. So here's an interesting thing about you. Every, listen to this, every good thing that comes in front of you necessarily doesn't necessarily have your name on it. So even if you're given a good opportunity to do something, you should still pray about that. Not just kind of like go through it and say, hey, I'm going to do this. This is a good thing. I must, I, you know, it must be something I need to do. But you want, to, you want to pause and ask God to help you. A couple years ago, I may have told you the story a couple years ago, I was invited to be on a, a mission board for uh, Living Water International, a great mission organization that I've loved for years, we've supported for years. And the president of the uh, organization called me and said, Danny, we, we know you love what we're doing. We'd like for you to be on our board, our inter- international board. That means you'll get to fly a little bit and travel different places and all that. And, and I always love to travel internationally and do things, and I love missions. And so so I was like, it was kind of a prestigious thing. It was a nice thing. I thought, boy, that's great. I'm really excited about that. And I said, well, let me pray about it. So I prayed about it, and I talked to Karen about it. So whenever I pray about things, God and Karen I consult. And so I, you know, God and Karen are like right there. So I asked the Lord, should I do this? And I was all excited. I thought, sure, he was going to say, go for it. I'm just blessing you. I'm going to bless you. Go ahead and do it. Well, I got it just like a red light in my heart. Like I wasn't supposed to do that. I asked Karen. She said, no, you're not supposed to do that. So I called the president. I said, listen, I'm so flattered you invited me to do this, but I, I can't do that. And it's not something I'm supposed to do. And they found somebody else and everything. Everybody's happy ever after. But sometimes good things do not have your name on it. And God... There were people that were going to, other people that were going to minister some of these areas, and Paul had a certain place he was supposed to minister at. A couple of years ago, I was, in, uh, I was in Marshalls one Friday, and uh, I was, uh, those of you that know me well know that I wear beanies all the time. This is the only time I don't wear a beanie when I'm preaching. Every other time, I'm, I'm, I'm always in a beanie. And uh, so I was at Marshalls with Karen one Friday, and uh, I was hanging out, and I went to look at the beanies. They had all these beanies there, so I'm looking at their beanies. So I had my beanie on. And so I had it on, and then I, I just took it off and laid it there on the little coat rack while I'm checking out the other beanies looking at. It had a little mirror there, and I'm putting them on. I'm looking good and all that. 
Some stand there. Another guy comes up there beside me to look at the beanies, and he sees my beanie, and he puts my beanie on. I mean, like, what do you say to a man that's wearing your beanie? I, I, was, I, I, was, I didn't know what to say. What do you, what do you say, sir, you're wearing my beanie? You know, what do you do? Just standing there looking at him wearing my beanie. And he's looking in the mirror, looking, checking himself out. I'm thinking, you never look as good as I do. But anyhow, I didn't say that. So finally he put it down and I took my beanie and I walked away, you know. Sometimes we put things on that don't belong to us. So say this with me. Every good thing doesn't necessarily have my name on it. So we believe here, Bayshore, we believe everybody's got a gift to serve in our church. You know, if you came to a church where you served in 20 different places, that's probably not God's perfect will for you or your family, but there's probably some area you're supposed to serve. But we believe that there's some things, you know, is, is, not, is not what you're supposed to do. And so some things in life, think about those opportunities in life. When you're given an opportunity, instead of saying yes to everything, make sure that you stop even in front of the good things and ask God, God, is this something that you want me to do? Is this something you want me to do? And ask him to give you direction about that. So that's an important, important thing there. So the last thing I want to say is uh, actually two little things real quickly. Uh, uh, the other thing is, is here's, a, here's a problem. Sometimes when, we're, when we get tired of waiting for the right thing, we do the wrong thing. When we get tired of waiting for the right thing, sometimes we do the wrong thing. So one of the things we hate to do is wait. And so Paul, I can guarantee you, type A, uh, driven personality, he, he like wants to keep, you know, he, waiting is probably driving him crazy. But make sure that when you're waiting for the right thing, you don't just do the wrong thing because you're tired of waiting. Very, very important. And so Paul had to wait. He had to wait. He goes to Troas, goes to his motel in Troas. He's waiting and then finally got direction about what he's supposed to do. Very, very important thing. My son Joel right now, uh, he and Stacy uh, designed a house a while back. They, uh, they're going to build a new house. And so they, uh, you know, Joel's like the financial guru. You know, Dave, Dave Ramsey calls him for advice. You know, he's got all this thing all laid out. And he's, uh, you know, got his house paid for. They're going to do a new house in Bethany Beach and got the house all designed. But they went to get their first bid, and the first bid didn't come in right. The second bid didn't come in right. Third bid didn't come in right. Fourth bid didn't come in right. And I'm watching him live out this waiting. And so I asked him, I asked him this week, I said, Joel, you mind if I tell about your house story? And he's, he wrote me back, and here's what he said. Uh, he said, uh, this is what he's, he and Stacy are going through right now. For us, we have just been praying that God will open up the right doors and close the wrong doors. So we've talked to five contractors at this point, and the very first estimate we got back, let's just say God shut that door, put nails around the outside, and cinder blocked it in front. (laughs) It was disappointing at first because our emotions are tied to that house, but we just decided that it was God protecting us from something in the future that we can't see now. At this point, We've had quite a few doors shut on us. The last time it happened, Stacy and I were driving home disappointed again. And every time I started to get down, I forced myself to say, Shoo! Thank goodness God protected us again. 
So the whole ride home, Stacy and I would randomly say, shoo, it was God, just our way of refraining from, uh, it, was, it was just our way of refraining our emotional disappointment, reframing our emotional disappointment with God's bigger plan that we can't see. Really, really incredible wisdom about how he's processing that. Because it's very easy to do the wrong thing when you're tired of waiting for the right thing. Hey, say this with me. God is always perfect in his timing. Now, just a little historical thing about the story of, of the, the story of Acts where Paul's bouncing around. One of the areas uh, that he was denied to go, he later went and he preached in a city there called Ephesus. And that church became very famous, of course, and the, the book of Ephesians comes from that. So it was a later time that God had for Paul to go there. So one last thing I want to say about, about uh, guidance today as, as I close. This is the last thing I want to say. Uh, there's there's uh, two kinds of guidance. Uh, you know, there's objective and specific guidance, but there's also an, another care, uh, category of guidance. That's what I call, there's conscious guidance and unconscious guidance. Conscious guidance is when you know God's directing you to do something. He's kind of leading you and he's directing you. You know you're following the Lord. And then there's unconscious guidance where God is actually guiding you and you don't know it. Now, the reason that I say that is because in the Old Testament, there's this story called, uh, called the book of Ruth. And in the book of Ruth, there's this, these, uh, this family, little family that comes from Bethlehem because there's a famine there. They come to Moab, which is east of, east of Bethlehem. And Naomi and her husband Elimelech and uh, her, her two sons come to the land of Moab. And the two sons marry Moabite women. One of the women that, that's married to one of the sons, her name is Ruth. Two sons die, husband dies, and so it's just Naomi and Ruth and this other girl left. And so Ruth comes back with her mother-in-law, Naomi, comes back to, to Bethlehem. And she gets back there, this Moabite girl, who, in that famous scripture, your God will be my God, your people will be my people, where you die, I will die. Wonderful scripture. So she comes back, Ruth comes back with her mother-in-law, Naomi, to Bethlehem, the area of Judea. And she needs to gather some, she needs to get some food. And so she goes on a field, she goes one day, to, it's harvest time, and she goes to glean in a field. And it says this in Ruth 2.3, she happened upon the field of Boaz. She happened upon the field of Boaz. And she's gathering corn and grain. And she meets Boaz, the rich farmer, who's quite a bit older than her. She meets him that day. And it's a love story. They fall in love. And a whole bunch of stuff happens. And they get married. And when they get married, Boaz and Ruth, who Ruth happened upon his field, Ruth and Boaz get married, and they have a little boy by the name of Obed. And then Obed grows up, and he has a little boy named Jesse. And Jesse grows up, and he has a little boy, another little boy, a third little boy, a fourth little boy, a fifth little boy, a sixth little boy, a seventh little boy, and then he has an eighth little boy. And that eighth little boy is named David. And David becomes the king of Israel. All because she happened upon a field. God sometimes guides us 
even when we don't know he's guiding us. So if you're confused, and if you aren't sure what you're doing, always know that there are the mighty arms of God that guide you to the destiny that God has for you. God is at work in your life. Can you say a big amen? Would you lift your hands to the Lord this morning? Lord, we want to thank you for your love and your mercy, your grace, your power. You have a plan for us, a plan to prosper us and bless us. Lord, you're a specific God who loves us and cares about us, and you have not forgot us. So, Lord, as we go into this week, we go into this week with joy. We go into this week with full of the Spirit because your Spirit is guiding us and you have a destiny for our life. We pray your blessing on us in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen.